this afternoon. Um, uh, help us out a little bit here. Can you provide any specifics about uh, who these 200 people are uh, that you're, you've interviewed? I'm not asking for names, uh, you know, dates of right. birth and Social Security numbers, but can you give us a little bit of context? Yes. Uh, many of them are people who were uh, in the administration during the former uh, president's term who have information that they want to give to us. Um, uh, as well as people uh, involved in the events leading up to the 6th, and they want to voluntarily give information. Um, you know, we're putting the pieces together. It's painstaking, uh, and uh, but it's thorough. And we hope when the process is completed that we will have a very reliable and complete picture of the events that led up to that terrible day. And can you say a former White House staff, uh, staffers have testified, Trump campaign staffers, uh, the staff of the former Vice President Mike Pence, that's all of the above? Well, let me not that specific, but let me say certainly there have been people, um, uh, part of the Trump administration, uh, who have spoken to us and provided uh, important insights that have led us to further questions. Uh, many people are coming in voluntarily, uh, some uh, we're going to have to subpoena and have, in some cases, there will be more uh, subpoenas. Uh, some need a subpoena, uh, you know, to uh, give uh, cover for coming in. Uh, and then there are also uh, third parties who might have information. For example, we are following the money uh, to find out who paid for it. That's an important element of uh, following the money trail, and that's not always just testimony documents. Episode 18, A Family Outing. Welcome to Capital Insurrection Report, a podcast dedicated to the events of January 6, 2021 in Washington, D.C. I'm Scott Kuhn. Welcome to this special Thanksgiving episode, and I think this year uh, we do have a lot for which we can be thankful. The intro, of course, was Representative Zoe Lofgren, of California, a member of the House Select Committee to investigate the January 6th attack, uh, talking to CNN's Jim Acosta uh, about the work of the committee and um, revealing uh, that um, the committee had spoken with 200 persons uh, who are witnesses uh, or even perhaps former Trump administration officials uh, people who are uh, involved in staff. She didn't want to get into too much uh, specifically about uh, who these people were, whether, you know, some of them perhaps worked for Mike Pence um, or, you know, indeed, uh, she hinted at people who may be working in, you know, financial services providers uh, as they follow the money trail. Um, interestingly, uh, Liz Cheney, just not too much, uh, I think a week or two before, uh, said, put the, the count at 150. So, you know, in just a, a period of really a, a week or so, um, the committee had spoken to 50 or so more people in the January 6th investigation. And so I think that's good news. I think that's something for which we can be thankful. And just as importantly, um, they have currently 25,000 documents. These aren't documents that they're waiting for. These aren't documents that are being blocked. 
by claims for of executive privilege. These are 25,000 documents relating to the January 6th attack. And again, there's some frustration about the fact that the committee has to work behind closed doors, but that is normal, and that's part of the process. If they anticipate a criminal referral, they have to do it behind closed doors. And so the good news has always been that, you know, they, they're doing it behind closed doors because they anticipate criminal referrals. And as we've seen, we've already had one, right? We had a criminal referral to the Department of Justice uh, that was for contempt. And there was a lot of concern, a lot of consternation about the amount of time that criminal referral took. I'm referring, of course, to the criminal referral of Steve Bannon, age 67, former White House chief strategist uh, for Donald Trump for a very rather short period of time. Early in the administration, uh, some people called him Trump's brain, the, quote, architect of Trump's victory in 2016, and uh, a notable figure on the alt-right, and, of course, um, allegedly a participant in a plan to obstruct an official proceeding and uh, interfere with the peaceful transfer of power, um, who's claimed, you know, executive privilege that with regard to the activity of the committee. Uh, he has claimed that everything he's said and done has is privileged, subject to the executive privilege uh, in the on the part of the president. Um, so, criminal referral in that case went to the DOJ on a Friday, I believe, it was the twelfth, and on Monday, November fifteenth, Steve Bannon uh, did a self surrender uh, at um, the Department of Justice. Uh, and again, you know, sub, sorry, subject to uh, the actions of a grand jury, right? Which that was another thing we learned, right? So they have a grand jury impaneled that is handling uh, criminal referrals. And if they've got a, a grand jury impaneled to do that for Steve Bannon, you think there might be, you know, other criminal referrals that might not be coming down the pike? Uh, you know, seems quite likely. I mean, once they, they've got it done, once they've got uh, people in place, and once they, they start doing the work, why bother setting another one up, right? And so, you know, again, that may be part of the explanation for why this has taken a certain amount of time. So no one was happy. Oddly enough, you know, this happened, and suddenly people realized that this was, uh, in fact, actually a misdemeanor, that uh, Bannon you know, would be out on bail, that he would be released. Uh, perhaps, you know, the, the committee uh, and the press weren't clear enough on that. But yes, that was always the case. Bannon wasn't going to be, uh, you know, incarcerated indefinitely. Uh, he was going to self-surrendered and, and be released on the same day. So Bannon was served with a subpoena on September 24th, uh, and the grand jury issued the indictment on on the 12th of November, and, you know, he surrendered on the 15th and um, had a, his court appearance um, on Thursday of that week. And, uh, you know, part of the issue, I, I think, is that, like there's an expectation that, you know, there's going to be criminal charges immediately or something like that. The whole point of this is to uh, get the evidence to the committee and also to show that, uh, you know, they're not messing around, right? That if they can uh, indict 
Bannon for contempt, uh, you know, they, they can do that with other people. And again, he was chosen because he has the, the weakest sort of privileged claim. And uh, yes, it's the misdemeanor. Yes, he called it the misdemeanor from hell. But it might prove to be the misdemeanor uh, from hell for him, right? So he faces anywhere from 30 days to a year in prison uh, and also the possibility of fines up to $100,000. So that's not insignificant, right? I mean, Bannon is continuously asking people for money. Uh, I know he's got all those Seinfeld bucks, um, but, you know, that, again, is something that maybe he can afford, but, you know, other defendants, uh, perhaps, you know, you don't want to mortgage your house so that you can uh, obstruct justice and obstruct Congress on behalf of Donald Trump. So that's something for which I think we can be thankful. Uh, Bannon's self-surrender uh, in the Capitol insurrection investigation. And it should send a, a chilling message to other defendants that, uh, you know, other defendants, excuse me, not defendants yet, uh, other potential witnesses that if they don't cooperate with the committee, uh, or at least appear to cooperate with me, right? I mean, you know, I, I don't expect anyone really thinks that Bannon is going to go out there and, you know, tell the, the truth, the full truth, and nothing but the truth. But again, that would open him up uh, to uh, charges uh, for perjuring himself, right? So that's the bind that Bannon is in, and he has testified in court before. And that, oddly enough, I had to check, um, was November 8th, 2019, uh, in the case involving Roger Stone. And worth remembering what that was for, right? Roger Stone was convicted on all counts obstruction, making false statements, witness tampering, and sentenced in February of 2020 to 40 months in federal prison. So Steve Bannon knows the consequences, and I think other people, uh, other potential witnesses, um, also know the, the consequences. And, um, you know, even though we have, you know, finally uh, this contempt uh, indictment against Bannon, right? And Bannon is going to have his day in court, um, which should proceed expeditiously. Uh, other people who haven't been fully cooperating are certainly looking and seeing what's happening in the Steve Bannon case. Uh, most notably, Mark Meadows and Dan Scavino. Um, it's part of like, you know, kind of like waiting, like, well, what's, what's, what's going to happen there? Um, and one might expect that if they don't decide to get off the pot, uh, the same thing, you know, they could be doing a walk yeah, as well, right? They might, you know, the grand jury, for all we know, could be uh, moving against them just, you know, as as I record this, right? As part of it, it's like, we don't know, you know? And like Steve Bannon, they'll have to uh, surrender their passports, right? They have to go through all that. So, um, you know, I think that is, is good news, and I, I do think that there are a lot of people who were not happy with how long it took. I wasn't happy with how long it took, but the process is set up now. And, um, you know, yes, it, it's misdemeanor charges. Yes, you know, uh, but the point is <laughs> they're going to be able to get the testimony and quite possibly uh, these, these, you know, these people, if they really want to go to the wall for Trump, might wind up, uh, you know, perjuring themselves.
And uh, look, that, that's where the, the penalties get severe. So they, they're caught in a bind. And there's it's no reason why they're trying to invoke privilege here. Because, I mean, it's, they, if they tell the truth, um, they're going to wind up, uh, you know, possibly incriminating themselves, right? Um, maybe the smart thing for them to do is is to take the fifth. But, uh, you know, they're, they're, this is really serious. And I do think that there's some of it with the amount of time it takes, you know. Again, I don't think Steve Bannon would have liked to have, you know, testified against Roger Stone. But ultimately, um, the testimony that Bannon provided in that case helped to convict Stone, right? Um, and maybe, you know, Bannon knew that the pardon was coming down the pike. And so that's why, you know, maybe it didn't matter so much. Um, but we've got both of these guys uh, winding up, you know, in trouble again. Um, and, you know, they're going to have to wind up uh, either offering truthful testimony or accepting the consequences of either lying uh, or uh, being held in contempt of the January 6th committee. So the title of this episode is A Family Outing, and the reason for that is actually because of a suggestion uh, from a listener of the show uh, who reached out on Twitter, and I want to thank you for doing that. Also, if you uh, have not, if you are on Twitter, uh, please do follow me, Scott Kuhn, at Cap Insurrep. Uh, C-A-P-I-N-S-U-R-R-E-P. Um, and, you know, yeah, that's why why I finally joined Twitter after all these years uh, is to communicate with people uh, about the podcast itself. Um, and the suggestion was uh, from the anonymous listener that I do something on uh, the various families who took part in the insurrection. And uh, so I did. I, I looked at those. Of course, I was cognizant of the fact that there were uh, people who were related to one another uh, who took place, uh, took part in the Capitol insurrection. Uh, nonetheless, I was surprised by some of what I found when I looked actually at these uh, in in terms of the numbers, right? Uh, you know, everyone's aware of certain individuals uh, who are related to other individuals who took part. Uh, if you've been following these cases closely, as I know many of you do, um, but just taking a step back and looking at it in the aggregate, uh, I found some things that I actually found surprising. But uh, before we do that, I'll turn to some other current events in the Capitol Insurrection uh, investigations. And um, before we do that, uh, I would like to talk about where we are with regard to the ongoing investigations uh, with the numbers brought to you uh, by Sedition Tracker. Once again, uh, does a very good job of, uh, you know, laying out where all the cases are. So um, currently there are, and there have been 666 individuals charged which is an increase of 16 people since the last episode. So still roughly on the same pace, five to seven people every week. And, uh, you know, when I saw that, I thought, oh, man, there's going to be some QAnon nuts who are keeping track of this. And they're going to think, you know, that there's some numerological significance to the number 666. Uh, but we were always going to get there. And actually, they're probably not even keeping track of it. The funny thing is, is, you know, uh, it's much easier to just make things up, right, than it is to actually follow legal proceedings. And the, there's a lot of stuff that's revealed uh, the more you look at these cases that they probably don't even want to know, right? They don't want to know the truth about. 
uh, what's happening with the Capitol insurrection investigation. They are just hanging out, asking dumb questions like, why haven't people been charged with insurrection? And what about Ashley Babbitt, et cetera, and so forth. So 666 individuals charged, 322 indicted, which is an increase of only four since the last episode. Still three deceased, still one dismissal. Um, total of 133 convictions, which is of quite a bit of an increase since the last time. An increase of 20. And again, as one might expect, mainly misdemeanors. But as we're looking, and some of these, uh, especially the early assault cases, come down the pike. If you look at the, the court calendar, a lot of these are coming up, right? And so we're beginning to see, you know, more serious uh, convictions. People that take plea deals, they're looking at serious time. And, you know, we have people like Chansley, right? Getting 41 months. Scott Fairlamb, the gym owner from New Jersey with the brother who's a Secret Service agent um, who, you know, basically did had one offense, right? He sucker punched a cop, uh, a Metropolitan Police officer. 41 months for that. And when you look at what some of the other violent offenders did, um, you know, that pales in comparison. And so, you know, especially the ones who actually cause lasting injury to officers, um, it's, you know, they're, they're looking at real time. And I think a lot of people are disheartened uh, by a lot of these misdemeanor defendants. But we're going to start seeing, uh, you know, people accepting plea agreements and um, people entering into plea agreements and also, you know, eventually trials. And if these people go to trial, you know, they're not going to be pleading to one felony, right? They're going to be uh, having to, ultimately, if they get convicted... And by the way, the government wins most of its cases. And in most government cases, they don't have the amazing video evidence that they have. So the government's probably going to win all these cases. Um, you know, I, I would expect very few of them actually will go to trial. But maybe some of them are dumb enough to do that. And then they're looking at all the charges. And they'll wind up doing all the time. Um, all right, and finally, uh, 36 sentencing. So that's an increase of 16 since our last episode. So again, that's, you know, quite good. Um, and also people are, they wonder about, you know, if people are sentenced to something like 41 months, what does that mean in the federal system? Well, federal system does have good time. Uh, they don't do a parole. Parole was abolished in 1987. So uh, that's out. And there is good time. Uh, theoretically, you're supposed to get if you are well-behaved. And we don't necessarily know that these people will be, right? Some of them have, have really been acting like, you know, some uh, nasty inmates uh, in, in the D.C. jail. Well, the few of them uh, who've actually been subject to pretrial to, to detention. Uh, nonetheless, um there's, there's, there's good time, 54 days a year, theoretically. On average, it winds up to be 47. So, uh, you know, they will do most of their time. Less about, uh, you know, 50, you know, 47 days. Uh, it doesn't actually wind up being the full uh, 54 for some reason. Average of 47 days per year of the sentence. 
So, you know, if these people are getting 40-month sentences, they're going to do almost all of it, right? They're going to wind up doing, um, you know, 40, I mean, 36, 35, 36 months. So, you know, they're, and again, that's, that's on the low side, right? For these, uh, especially the assault on officer charges, the AFO cases, they are going to be looking at a lot more time than, uh, you know, someone like Fairland. All right, let's move on to some more news before uh, we talk about this week's uh, family theme of insurrection. Um, oh, speaking of the January 6th uh, committee in the House, uh, we've also had a new series of uh, subpoenas being issued by the committee. And first two names that are listed are, of course, going to be familiar to people. I just mentioned this man's name, Roger Stone. So... Steve Bannon's old friend, Roger Stone, uh, who's, you know, been involved in just every scandal since Watergate, literally, uh, is getting a subpoena. Alex Jones, right? Radio talk show guy uh, who winds up uh, speaking and then winds up going around the Capitol to this little site that Ali Alexander, using a front group, has set up in order to move the crowd to surround the Capitol, uh, in whose little buddy, Schroyer, has already been arrested. Uh, Alex Jones also catching a subpoena. Um, and some, some less well-known na names uh, that you may or may not be familiar with. Uh, Taylor Budowich, um, a Trump spokesperson and current Trump employee. And Dustin Stockton and Jennifer Lawrence. Not that Jennifer Lawrence, right? The Trump Jennifer Lawrence. So Dustin Stockton and Jennifer Lawrence, uh, again, not that one, uh, are uh, basically people who emerged out of the Tea Party movement. And uh, there's a very good article that I'm going to rely on uh, for a lot of this by David Friedlander at Politico called the Bonnie and Clyde of MAGA world that uh, apparently Friedlander has covered Stockton and Lawrence uh, for over a decade and knows them, is comfortable with them, and has had hours of interviews with them. And uh, they spoke with him uh, quite freely, apparently, in the wake of uh, all this. And uh, there's a lot, it's a great article, and there's a lot uh, that explains uh, why these two figures that you probably have never heard of uh, might matter. Um, so with regard to, to Trump, um, you find that he's, Stockton and Lawrence, uh, helped to organize a lot of these Stop the Steal events uh, that went from uh, the fall of 2020 all the way up to January 6th itself. Uh, and apparently, though, didn't take part uh, in the storming of the Capitol uh, and appears to, or at least according to this reporting by Friedlander, uh, to have thought that the thing was a dumb idea. So um, we don't know, you know, whether they're in on all that Eastman memo stuff or any of that. It, it would appear not to me, at least according to this reporting. Uh, but I'll just give you a little audio sample of uh, Stockton speaking at a, the November 14th rally in D.C. 
uh, which is a rally he apparently uh, helped organize. He and Lawrence organized, and then they, they're, they're like at the bottom of a bill, uh, even though they helped to organize this thing. From the Tea Party on, what people don't realize is that Donald Trump was the natural progression of the Tea Party movement and the fight for our Constitution. You must come together. You must... Scott Pressler always says it, MVP. This is a movement of love, but we must fight. We must stand up to the liars and the fake news. We must stand up to the big tech oligarchs who want to silence us. Fight. So that's Stockton urging the MAGA crowd to fight. Uh, again, that was in uh, November of uh, 2020. And one of the events that many people see, uh, quite frankly, is a kind of a, a dry run uh, in the run-up to January 6th. So um, they, they've been the long-standing figures on the right, and I, I won't go into all the detail on it, um, but uh, she, her apparently her family's from New York State. He's from uh, Florida. Although they uh, apparently uh, live out west, uh, somewhere in Nevada at the moment, uh, but really uh, they've described themselves as political gypsies, and uh, you know spent uh, much of the last decade, uh, you know, in RV or hotel rooms, uh, traveling around and organizing various events uh, for the Tea Party, and uh, as we'll see in a moment, uh, another you know other sorts of groups. So if you don't remember the Tea Party, um, basically what it was was a rebrand of the Republican Party following the complete blowout disaster of 2008. The billionaires who run the funding for the uh, Republican Party had a problem, right? Um, George W. Bush and the disaster of the Iraq War uh, looked like you know uh, Republicans were down for the count. And so they needed to rebrand it from the party of Bush to something else. And so that's why they created the uh, Tea Party, uh, which, you know, uh, begins in this sort of uh, fake grassroots way, really astroturf, uh, through billionaire funding, through a litany of, of different groups. And one of these groups is the Tea Party Express, uh, which is the same group that gives us Amy Kramer, uh, the lead organizer of the rally, on January 6th, and uh, Stockton and Lawrence were involved in that event as well. So this AstroTurf movement is, you know, funding their lifestyle and the lifestyles of lots of organizers like them. Um, apparently they met in 2012 working on the uh, campaign of uh, the late Herman Cain, uh, again, you know, died of coronavirus uh, quite tragically. Um, but they met on uh, his campaign. And um, Lawrence herself uh, apparently comes from a, a family that is well-established in the right wing of the Republican Party and uh, had worked as an intern uh, for an organization, uh, the London Center, I believe, um, that uh, is, of course, affiliated with Michael Flynn and Sebastian Gorka. Um, and they also were both hired by Steve Bannon, at Breitbart and were involved 
in his We Build the Wall campaign, which, if you recall, is uh, the, the exact thing that winds up getting Bannon convicted, right, and eventually pardoned um, for, you know, basically taking, taking money from donors they're going to use to allegedly build the wall, right, uh, and, you know, just taking it. Um, and not, not using it for what it was supposed to be. It was basically a, a giant scam, and that's already been established uh, in court. Um, apparently, as far as uh, Lawrence and Stockton go, though, their, their case has never been resolved, and they could still face charges. And according to the reporting for Friedlander, they're a bit bitter about this, right? Because, you know, Bannon gets a pardon. They don't have one, and they could still uh, face charges. And so they had a real incentive to try to get Trump uh, installed after the, you know, he lost the election, right? Now, they're still holding out for a pardon that was, you know, that never actually came. So, um, really good reporting. And it's just, you know, very, I mean, it's too long. I'm not going to really synthesize the whole thing here. But, you know, uh, according to the, again, this reporting uh, from Friedlander, uh, they're basically in dire straits. They're disaffected from the MAGA movement. They never got the pardon that they'd hoped for. Uh, and uh, Facebook has taken them down. And, of course, they were uh, heavy, you know, heavily targeting uh, people on Facebook. Um, the email uh, list that uh, they've used to solicit funds uh, has dried up. Uh, various providers have labeled it as spam. And so... This go to people's spam boxes and people aren't opening it. And so they're, um, you know, left really without any other useful skills and they're, no one's returning their phone calls and uh, they, they weren't terribly happy uh, with how the, the whole stop the steal thing uh, went down. Apparently, and this is part of what's confusing in the article, uh, apparently they've already spoken voluntarily to the uh, January 6th committee so why are they getting subpoenas? Um, I suspect that this is, and that's why I want to go a little bit more in depth on this. Uh, when Zoe Lofgren, Representative Lofgren, talks about people who want subpoenas as cover, um, these may be the people that are talk she's talking about. Uh, they, they, you know, uh, apparently, I mean, their only capital is their, their political organizing. Um, and so, you know, if you turn on your former boss... Uh, when they commit a crime of insurrection, which is what Trump basically did, uh, they, you know, that may be why they want subpoenas, even though they've apparently already delivered testimony. Um, but I just want to give you one quote from the, the uh, Friedlander article, which again, I advise you to look up. It's on Politico. It's the Bonnie and Clyde of MAGA world. Quote, broke, unable to afford lawyers, and forced to turn off the hot water in their RV in Nevada to save on money. Lawrence and Stockton are, in a word, furious. They say the money they were owed for the Stop the Steal bus tour never came through. Investigative reports from outlets such as ProPublica and others have lumped them in with the crowds who stormed the Capitol. Never having been introduced to the top money people, never having been pardoned, never even pay, being paid properly, and now left holding the bag for others, as they led the assault on the Capitol, they are ready to tell what they know. Um, Politico has already reported that Stockton talked to the January 6th committee 
and they no doubt spoke to me for this story in large part because they thought they, they could vindicate themselves. So this is the kind of people, by the way, you know, unlike someone like Bannon, again, when you look at the toxicity that's involved in MAGA world, you know there are a lot of people like this, right? I mean, Michael Cohen, right? You look at how Trump treats the people around him, and, you know, there got to be a lot of bitter people who are willing to talk to the committee. So I don't know, you know, how intimately involved Stockton and Lawrence were. Um, you know, I suspect that they, they may have never seen the Eastman memo because it doesn't come up in uh, what appears to be a, a very well-reported research article uh, by Friedlander. But, you know, if they do have any inside knowledge of that, I'm sure they're actually going to wind up bringing it up because, you know, bitterness trumps a lot, right? Bitterness will, will trump, uh, you know, the financial incentives, even careerist motivations, um, if you're angry because someone has betrayed you, as apparently both Stockton and Lawrence feel they have been betrayed, um, then, you know, yeah. So, again, we, we, it's hard because the committee is operating behind closed doors because they have to, because they anticipate criminals, uh, subpoenas, um, criminal charges, criminal referrals to the DOJ. And, you know... But these are the kinds of people that they're talking to. So, you know, while, I mean, Roger Stone, Alex Jones, that gets all the publicity, you know, I've kind of thought all along, it's like, it's going to be the people who feel as though uh, they were betrayed because that's what Trump does, right? Trump and, you know, to a larger, I mean, to some degree, uh, right-wing politics, you know, generally, right? Uh, you look at a lot of people, like, you know, someone even like Lee Atwater, right? You know, there's all these, there's phenomena, people going through these deathbed conversions. Because fundamentally, this is a uh, an, an outlook that, you know, uses people as a resource. This is uh, a uh, very much a, a machine that eats people up, you know. These people come in true believers and they wind up getting spit out uh, to fend for themselves. So, um, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Will they get out of, you know, any possible federal charges uh, for the uh, we will build the wall scam, um, you know, that Bannon got them into? I don't know. But it's the same circle of people. You've got Bannon. You've got uh, Amy Kramer. You've got, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> Breitbart. Uh, all ends, you know, again... They're, they're in a position to know some stuff. I don't know if they were intimately involved in the insurrectionist coup part of it. They claim that they were not, um, which even Friedlander in the article uh, uh, appears to address with some skepticism. You know, how could you, you not know that this thing was happening? Um, but, you know, we have to wait and see on, on that score. Similarly, there's also an article that appeared in Rolling Stone magazine. Uh, Rolling Stone published an article that revealed that um, there was a leak, basically, a text from Amy Kramer, uh, who, again, uh, was affiliated with Tea Party Express, just like uh, Stockton and Lawrence, and uh, is the main organizer of the rally on January 6th the, at the Ellipse that winds up becoming the, the incubator uh, for the, the mob that winds up storming the Capitol. And um, 
the, the texts wind up, you know, establishing what Kramer's doing. And um, there are texts between her. There's group chat stuff, um, which you, through a spokesperson, uh, Kramer said that, you know, well, this is nonsense, but the, the, the spokesperson, uh, one, one Baron, which I love, right, is, uh, this guy's name is Baron. Of course, you know, it's a pseudonym often used by Trump. Nonetheless, um, you know, says that, well, these, these charges are nonsense, these texts are nonsense, but if you look at what's been re released, like, you know, there's, there's no reason to make any of this stuff up. Like, you know, apparently, um, of course, again, you may recall, both uh, Amy and uh, her daughter uh, have received subpoenas, and in the text, he's mad at her daughter for apparently uh, getting sauced, um, you know, and it's just not necessarily, I, I don't think, stuff that, you know, you, you, would, you would make up. But Kramer is, you know, in, in my mind, I, I've looked into her a little bit more, um, you know, she appears to be a patsy. Right, she is a useful idiot, someone that they hired to get the rally done and to organize the rally, but also that there's be a, a layer of separation between MAGA world uh, and the, the storming of the Capitol, um, and so you know they again they used her similarly to uh, the the way that they used Stockton and Lawrence, and it's interesting that they they both have that Tea Party Express background. And so it's curious to me why anyone would leak this, right? So this leak probably doesn't come from the committee. Uh, it, it appears to have come from someone else who's in on the group chat. Um, but it could be that, you know, they've spoken to the DOJ or they've spoken to the January 6th committee and they, they've, they've, you know, allowed this uh, to go ahead. And it could be some kind of pressure, uh, a play to basically put pressure on Amy Kramer and her daughter, um, you know, and again, in, in many times this sort of right-wing fundraising activism sphere uh, has wound up turning into a family grift, right? So Amy Kramer uh, brings her, her daughter in and, uh, you know, the problem is, of course, that winds up putting her at risk as well. So, um, you know, not sure to what extent she's cooperating with the committee, but again, uh, both of the Kramers, Stockton, Lawrence, these are people who have good reason to feel as though they're, they were badly used by MAGA world and yet have gotten very little out of, out of it. Right, and one last thing I wanted to talk about uh, before I move on to the, the uh, family insurrectionist theme um, are the, is the ongoing case with the National Archives. Uh, National Archives, of course, are the central repository of the records of presidencies. Um, and they were, in, to Trump presidency, turned their records over. And now the January 6th, in, uh, the committee to investigate the January 6th uh, attack has asked for those records um, from the Trump administration, right? And many of these things are, are things that would not be controversial in any other administration. White House visitor logs, for example. Uh, that's not like, you know, top secret negotiations with a foreign power. That should be uh, just a, a matter of a public record. Shouldn't be secret who's, who's coming and going, uh, you know, what, what they have to hide here. 
Um, but you, you may recall that uh, Judge Chutkin, Tanya Chutkin, uh, decided um, from, from the D.C. Circuit, again, you know, same, same judges who were hearing a lot of these insur insurrectionist cases, right, uh, that the National Archive could release these records to Congress. Now, that has been obviously contested by Trump, and that's the holdup. Um, and so it now goes before the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia. And they're going to hear oral arguments on November 30th. So, uh, you know, we could know rather soon, right? And who knows? I mean, does this go all the way to the Supreme Court? Uh, the problem is that the, it's not that this is a very broad request, right? And they're, what Trump is trying to do is to argue that executive privilege applies to everything. And they're trying to claim that this is an excessively broad request. But in fact, most of these things are things that should not be subject to executive privilege. It's perfectly ordinary stuff. So um, I, I have a hard time believing that the National Archive doesn't release this. I mean, if they, if they are releasing this, if they're deciding that executive privilege uh, applies this broadly, to former administrations, then it's really, you know, it's like the divine right of kings, right? They've expanded executive privilege to a point where it's absolute. And I'm not sure that, you know, that's something that is, is they're willing to do, right? Maybe the, the, the little meme in the middle, maybe the committee won't get everything. Um, but nonetheless, you know, uh, I expect that this decision will be coming down relatively soon, uh, sometime in December, and that uh, barring a, an appeal to the Supreme Court, which the Supreme Court doesn't have to hear, right? Uh, the, you know, this should be decisive, and the committee should be able to get their, at, their hands on these records uh, before the new year. All right, so back to the, the theme of the week, finally. Uh, looking at the families of the January 6th insurrection. Now, going through, you know, you go through surnames uh, and the charging documents, and I may have missed some. Um, the thing is, that it's actually surprising is how many family relationships there are, particularly given the fact that, you know, I might have missed some. So, I mean, my cut point here was, is this someone that you might conceivably invite to uh, your Thanksgiving dinner? So um, I included unmarried couples, and I'm sure I missed some of those because some of those relationships, it's not going to show up on surnames. Um, and, you know, you don't necessarily know if people are dating uh, unless you're really, really, you know, you've assiduously read every single statement of facts. Um but nonetheless, I think I've gotten a good handle on most of the people uh, who engage in this as a family unit. And so it's, you know, it's kind of an interesting inversion, I think, right, of the idea of a family outing or a family trip. You know, you, you go on a family trip uh, to D.C., you might visit the Air and Space Museum, you know, you might uh, contact your congressperson for a tour, not a reconnaissance tour, just a normal tour of the Capitol. Uh, you know, you might see the White House. Um, you might go to, you know, um, uh, 
the Holocaust Memorial and Museum, you know, any number of places you go, National Cathedral, uh, the zoo is always popular, you know, but you don't storm the Capitol, right? Which is what these people did. You know, I mean, people take class trips to DC, you know, they might go with their family uh, to learn about American history, American culture, uh, you know, you don't go around smearing feces and attacking police. Nonetheless, that's what these folks did. And surprisingly, it is surprising to me anyway, how many people took part as uh, part of a family group. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to list them along with their ages. Uh, maybe every now and then I'll say something about the, the individuals. So we'll start with the married couples. Matthew Clark, 45, and Christy Taylor Clark, 43, a married couple. Thomas Vinson, 54, and his wife Lori Vinson, 49. Christopher Price and Cynthia Ballinger, married couple. She apparently kept her surname. It's the 21st century. Marilyn Fassel, 58, and Thomas Fassel, 67. Stacy Ann Hargis Getzinger, 43, and her husband, John Hubert Getzinger, 52. Jason Gurdon, age 50, and Christina Gurdon, age 46. Jessica Bussell, 36, and her husband, Joshua Bussell, 34. Jennifer Buteau, 44, and her husband, Jamie Buteau, 48. Um, then we have a couple of Oath Keeper couples, actually. And this kind of makes sense, you know? It's like if you were uh, in the Lions Club, maybe, you know, uh, your, your spouse joins the, the Lady Lions Club. Uh, I don't know, you know, there are things with ladies auxiliaries, right? Um, but, you know, if you're in a far-right paramilitary gang, you know, maybe your, your spouse is, is into that too. So we have, of course, Connie Meggs, 59, and Kelly Meggs, 52. Uh, and this actually, you know, an important case, right? So uh, tied up with the Oath, Oath Keepers in that uh, Oath Keepers super indictment. Uh, and Meggs, of course, is a central figure in the Oath Keepers conspiracy. And then you have Sandra Parker, 60, and Benny Parker, 70. Also Oath Keepers, also tied up in the Oath Keepers uh, mega indictment. Um, which, you know, it's been amended. And if you go to the page, it's just all kinds of stuff uh, on, on the Oath Keepers there. So uh, not surprising, you know, again, given how many uh, far-right gangs there are, uh, that there are also, you know, at the insurrection, that there are also far-right uh, gang member married couples, both of whom wind up getting charged, arrested, indicted, and so forth. There's also Brandon Miller, 34, and Stephanie Miller, not that one, uh, 30. Uh, it's kind of funny, you know, Stephanie Miller, of course, the, uh, is a you know, liberal political commentator, right? Um, and, you know, you have uh, yeah, kind of like the Jennifer Lawrence situation, right? Um, relatively common name. And uh, there's also a, kind of an interesting overlooked case, um, the, uh, the Middletons. So that is um, Jalise Middleton, 50, 
and Mark Middleton, age 51. And um, it's kind of interesting because it was, it was relatively unusual. Most of the people who committed assault uh, or allegedly committed assault against federal officers are uh, men, right? But Jalise joined her husband on the front lines uh, and decided to attack federal officers uh, during the Capitol insurrection. Uh, and, of course, posted about it on Facebook because that's apparently what you do if you're a Gen X insurrectionist. You got to go on to Facebook. You got to brag about how you attacked officers at D.C. on January 6th. So uh, in her indictment, um, there's this from, taken from her Facebook. January 6th at 3.35 in the afternoon. This is uh, Jaleese Middleton. We fought the cops to get in the Capitol and got pepper sprayed and beat. But by gosh, the Patriots got in. Twelve minutes later, in response to a query, are you safe? Yeah, we were the first group to storm the Capitol. Just bruised and pepper sprayed. Two minutes later, me and my husband, my husband and I, I well, my husband and me. Me and my husband were on the front lines pushing into the Capitol and got past the fencing. But then we got beat by a cop and pepper sprayed, so we had to retreat. But you see, all our fellow patriots got in. Uh, one minute later, in response to another question, are y'all okay? Yes, but we made history and got everyone in. In response to the question, why did they fight the cops? Two minutes later, to get in the Capitol, to send them bastards a clear message that this won't be tolerated. January 6th, a couple minutes later, eight minutes later, we didn't make it in. We got pepper sprayed while fighting on the front line. Quote, the best couldn't be documented because we were all hands on decks. Patriots busted through the barriers as badly misspelled. B-A-R-R-I-E-R-E-R-S. Patriots busted through barriers to get in capital. Spelled with an E. Uh, sorry, an A, right? C-A-P-I-T-A-L, of course. Patriots busted through barriers to get in capital. Best I know, there was no looting or rioting, in quotation marks. We just sent a warning that we are serious. They did break windows to get in, but we're not tearing anything up. It is simply a notification that we can get to you. We mean business. Do what's right. Patriots don't stoop low like Antifa. Okay, so, uh, and it, it goes on, right? Um, but, you know, apparently, it, well, it's not a riot, you know. It's, I mean, she was there, right? Uh, you know, she just assaulted cops and fought with the cops on the front lines, uh, you know, and they dang those cops for tear-gassing these honest uh, patriots. So, and of course, you know, I mean, just reading the, the comments, uh, it does make me despair about the quality of education in Texas. Um, somehow, Jalise is a billing manager for Angels Home Healthcare in Gainesville, Texas. Um, but, you know, not the best educated person that, that one might find. And, you know, again, relatively rare, relatively unusual uh, in the capital insurrection in that she is a uh, 
female who is assaulting the police. And finally, uh, two more married couples, Amy Schubert, 61, John Schubert, 71, and Kelsey Wilson, 29, and her husband, Zachary Wilson, 31. So altogether, 14 married couples, 28 individuals. But of course, it's also, you know, the 21st century, and not every couple is married, um, and certainly capitalist erections, uh, no exception to that. Uh, we also have three unmarried couples, uh, and that's at least, by the way. I, I expect there might be more. Uh, it's just harder to identify in uh, the charging documents. Um, so we have Gabriel Burris, age 22, Madison Pettit, age 20, uh, Mauricio Mendez, age 40, and Victoria Bergeson, also 40, uh, of Groton, uh, which is kind of a, you know, uh, a bit of a, yeah, I don't know, it's kind of a, a nice place, right, uh, compared to many of the, the, you know, places that many of these defendants are actually from, uh, you know, I mean, it's like, yeah, um, <laughs> it's like, you know, a, a bit unusual in that respect. Not a lot of people from Connecticut arrested at the Capitol insurrection. Um, and finally, uh, Rachel Lynn Pert, 40, and a J Dana Joe Wynn, 45, uh, who live-streamed uh, the trip down to, uh, up to uh, the, the Capitol. Um, and uh, in the live stream, which I apparently I wasn't able to I find anywhere, uh, but it's cited in the charging documents. Quote, this is uh, Dana Jo Wynn. Got her flags. Come with her flagpole. That way I can hit Antifa in the head if need be. Ha. But we'll be safe. Y'all have a good evening. We'll be back. We'll talk to y'all later. Love you. Bye. So, um, not the brightest uh, bushels, you know, not the brightest apples in the bushel, um, you know, live streaming their crimes uh, in, you know, and then, you know, like on, on in route and showing, right? And de definitively saying, oh, look, we brought a flagpole uh, so that we can hit Antifa, uh, you know, and um, that's not, you know, ultimately what winds up happening, of course, there's there's no Antifa there for them to assault. Um, but, you know, in any event, they, they wind up not uh, wind up assaulting anyone anyway. Uh, they're just charged with uh, allegedly uh, unlawful entry and violent entry. Um, but, yeah, so uh, Rachel and Pert is a, the manager of a Circle K. Uh, I don't know if they have kept that affiliation, if that is what the Circle K brand stands for. But so three unmarried couples, uh, Mendez, Menendez, sorry, Mendez and Bergeson uh, of Groton are actually engaged. Um, so six unmarried individuals uh, who, you know, again, took part in the Capitol insurrection.
Next, talk a little bit about some of the uh, the mothers and their children who uh, are accused in the January 6th insurrection. We have Christina Malamon, age 28, and Yevgenia Malamon, age 54. I believe I've talked about them in an earlier episode. Um, these are you know, folks who are, uh, you know, long associates of this sort of the, the, uh, the MAGA grift. John, sorry, Jean Levin, age 56, and uh, her daughter, Carly Kreiswicki, age 19. Janet West Bueller, 57, and Michael Lee Harden, age 50. Now, this is kind of an interesting category. I didn't really know where to stick them, so I, I stuck in the, the mother uh, and uh, child category, even though Bueller is only seven years older than Harden. Uh, Bueller is actually Harden's stepmother-in-law, right? So apparently, um, you know, his wife's father must have remarried, presumably a younger woman. It, it, it sounds like a kind of a, a weird category, uh, you know, hey, stepmother-in-law, you know, I don't know. Um, but that's, uh, yeah, obviously, that's kind of a relationship, uh, you know, it's kind of odd to go to the Capitol with your stepmother-in-law and take part in an insurrection. Uh, then there's Jody Lynn Wilson, 43, and Cole Temple, age 20. So uh, mother and son, uh, and they actually, they tried, uh, Wilson at least, uh, the mother, uh, when interviewed with, by the FBI, said that she'd been invited onto the steps of the Capitol by an unidentified man uh, that Wilson assumed to be a congressman, and also then said that a police officer told the two of them that they were allowed to go inside the Capitol building. They're just, it's okay. The old, the cops told us it was okay. Therefore, we did it, defense. Um, then during the course of the investigation, uh, it turns out that... Um, Temple, the, the son, had uploaded some videos of the day from uh, onto uh, Snapchat. And uh, these recordings showed the Capitol. And there, there were captions, helpful captions, that helped to explain stuff, such as, quote, shit's going down. And go ahead, say some shit. And according to the indictment, a portion of the video appears to show Temple inside of the U.S. Capitol filming himself and yelling, just broke in this bitch. So, right. So according to mom, congressman and police say it's okay. According to her 20-year-old son, uh, there's full acknowledgement that, you know what, they weren't supposed to be there, that they had, in fact, just broke into this bitch. All right. couple, a couple of more mothers and their children. Deborah Sandoval, age 54, and Salvador Sandoval, age 23. And finally, saving the best for last, uh, the infamous Eric Munchel, zip-tie guy, age 30, and Lisa Marie Eisenhardt, age 57. Of course, uh, Munchel and Eisenhardt wind up being a very important case, ultimately, with regard to the uh, pre-trial uh, detention hearings. Uh, the Munchel decision becomes the decision that is it basically... 
uh, sets a precedent and standard for all the other cases involving pretrial detention. And of course, again, Munchal, oh, it's, you know, perfectly normal to just carry zip ties around um, and, you know, also to go to an insurrection with your mom. So all the other 12 individuals uh, who have a mother-child relationship, a mixture of mothers and sons and mothers and daughters. So, of course, what about fathers and sons? Or fathers and daughters? Well, let's see what, what that looks like. Um, a lot of dads decided that it was cool to bring their par their children uh, to the capital. So, amongst fathers who brought their children, we have Chance Anthony Upmore and, sorry, uh, James Herman Upmore, uh, 63, who brought his son. Chance Anthony Upmore, 24. William Michael Siwak, 45, who brought his son. William Jason Siwak. Uh, James Douglas Rom Jr., age 61. And James Douglas Rom III, uh, no age listed. Um, and this father and son seem, seems kind of nasty. Uh, because in his Facebook comments... Uh, where he's uh, apparently, you know, commenting uh, on a, the screenshot uh, of the Capitol insurrection. Um, he, he writes that, quote, riot shields and pepper spray never hurt anyone, did they? Home alive, history made. I walked right through Pelosi's office, should have shit on her chair. So, yeah, pr pretty nasty. But then he says, uh, the, the person with whom he's responding, that, you know, uh, that, you know, Democrats are, are assholes. Well, Democrats don't go around, you know, <laughs> shitting in the, the chair of the, the Speaker of the House, uh, you know, regardless of whichever party that they are in. So, you know, again, talking about feces, you know, smeared across the Capitol. We don't know who did it. You know what? They might want to get a sample uh, from the ROMs, uh, you know, because I have a suspicion that maybe they just didn't want to talk about it, but uh, these guys have some sort of weird scatological uh, issues going on. That's just a, a nasty thing to, to say that you want to do. Also, Kevin Seafried, 51, and Hunter Seafried, 23, of course, famous because uh, this Delaware father and son uh, locally would always fly the, the Confederate flag, the Confederate battle flag, and of course brought one to the Capitol, uh, something that never actually happened during the Civil War. Um, and yet, you know, they decided that it was very important to represent what Trump really stands for, and so uh, brought the, the flag of treason, sedition, slavery, enslavement, and insurrection into the Capitol, uh, as much as people want to deny that, that is what happened. Then we have uh, Kevin Tuck, 51, uh, who's a, I believe, a retired police officer, and his son, Nathaniel Tuck, who is uh, apparently an active Proud Boy, Proud Boy uh, affiliated person. So, you know, you have the, the police department Proud Boy connection right there in a one father-son uh, pairing. James Cusick Jr., age 72, and his son, uh, Casey Cusick, age 35. 
Um, Daryl Johnson, uh, who I don't actually have an age for, and a Daniel Johnson, 29. Uh, Grady Douglas Owens, 21, and his father, Jason Douglas Owens, whose age I don't have. Um, and uh, Jeffrey Grace, 61, and his son, Jeremy Grace, age 37. So uh, there was also a case that, that I, I didn't include, actually two cases I didn't include. Uh, there's Benjamin Martin from Fresno, California, who did go to the insurrection with his father, but his father wasn't charged. So I decided, you know, I couldn't include him uh, at, in, in the, that group, um, even though he, he did go with his dad. And then Kyle James Young, age 37, who uh, fought quite a long, was fighting at the tunnel, uh, the Lower West Terrace Tunnel, uh, who's such a great dad uh, that he decided to bring his 16-year-old son along with him uh, to, you know, have this enactment of historical violence. So quite a bit of, of fathers and sons. Um, and part of what was interesting to me uh, with regard to the fathers and sons, they're uh, 18 of them all together, 10 pairs of fathers and sons, is that uh, none of them brought their daughters. Kind of interesting. Mothers uh, bring father, you know, went there with their, their sons and or daughters. The fathers only brought male children, apparently. Uh, there, there's some research about the supposedly civilizing effect of having daughters on men. I don't know. Um, but it is kind of odd that, uh, you know, the people who, or at least maybe daughters, don't get arrested as much. I don't know. Although it didn't stop the, the, the you know, the daughters and the mother-daughter pairings from being arrested. So uh, kind of an interesting data point. Maybe, you know, having having a daughter made them have a little bit more sense. Be like, you know what? Maybe I won't fight with the cops today. Uh, I don't think, you know, little Jennifer needs to, to wind up going to jail uh, for Donald Trump. Um. In addition to these, of course, we have some other different kinds of familiar relationships. Siblings, of course. You can't leave those out. Um, and we'll begin with three different siblings. Uh, Jonathan Pollock, age 21, who is currently a fugitive from justice. So kind of an interesting case there. Uh, Pollock went with Olivia Michelle Pollock. Uh, and a uh, younger brother, Pollock. Now, I didn't actually include him. No, I did include him. You know, he actually apparently uh, was not charged. Uh, maybe uh, just looking, you know, there's, there's a chance he might wind up facing charges. Um, we don't know. But Pollock definitely is on video, uh, allegedly definitely assaulting the police at the Capitol. Um, and, you know, winds up ultimately, uh, fleeing from justice. So the, they are, there's a bolo photos. They're on the lookout for this guy. And, you know, I mean, you can look him up. You can see what he looks like. He's a, you know, only 21 years old, already a wanted federal fugitive. Um, who has got a conspiracy indictment and is wanted for assaulting federal law enforcement. So, out of, you know, siblings, he's, he's most notable because 
out of all these these defendants, I believe he's the only one who's actually a well, except for the guy who went to Belarus last week, um, a fugitive from justice at this point. So next we have Eric von Bernowitz, forty six, and his brother Paul von Bernowitz, fifty. We have Corey Connold, twenty five, and Felicia Connold, twenty six. Uh, they came up in the context of the Proud Boys episode. You may remember that uh, Felicia Connold of, I believe, Arizona or New Mexico, uh, somehow managed to become an honorary member of the Proud Boys. Or not an honorary member, like a full paid up. She's got the challenge coin and everything. Member of the Proud Boys, which uh, is supposedly an all-male organization. Um, and she was there with her brother, who's only a year younger, and also in the company of the Kansas City chapter of the Proud Boys, headed up by Billy Crestman. Uh, and also notable, of course, is she winds up asking the court to have her ankle bracelet removed because uh, nine months to the day, she winds up giving birth to a baby, a little insurrection baby. Um, we don't know who the father is. I mean, you know, there were hundreds of Proud Boys at the insurrection. So, you know, uh, take that as it may. We, we don't we don't really know um so you know interesting per, parent child relationship there uh you know so I, I guess there's a bonus fetus included in the insurrection um Kevin Corden age 33 and uh his brother Sean Corden age 35 Jared Wade Hughes 37 and his brother Joshua Calvin Hughes age 38. Jonathan Peter Klein, 21. Matthew Leland Klein, 24. Michael Anthony Pope, 32. Uh, William Alexander Pope, 35. Michael uh, Aaron Quick, 43. And Stephen Brian Quick, 48. And Mark Kulis and Christian Kulis. So, a lot of brothers. Um, as a matter of fact, yeah, I mean, it's, it's basically just Felicia, by Felicia, uh, among the siblings who are uh, at the Capitol insurrection arrested with their, their, their siblings, or well, later arrested with their siblings. So out of all the siblings, uh, you have eight pairs of siblings and then that one uh, triplet group, right? Uh, well, they're not triplets, but uh, three siblings, the Pollock siblings, one of whom isn't charged and one of whom is currently a fugitive from justice. So... Uh, one other category we have are cousins. Um, and you have Daniel Page Adams, 43, and his much younger cousin, Cody Connell, age 27. Now, uh, they're, they're kind of interesting in, in that, you know, they're, they're violent, right? Uh, and, you know, so, um, also Cody Connell, uh, according to the FBI, uh, it is alleged that he may, quote, intend to return to Washington, D.C. sometime during the week of January 18th, 2021. According to a witness, Connell has communicated with at least two hundred individuals in Texas about purchasing long rifle firearms, ammunition, and body armor to bring with them. He explained that he was not returning to Louisiana unless he was in a body bag. So high level of commitment expressed there from Mr. Connell. 
uh, the one singular pair of cousins arrested at the Capitol's insurrection. And then finally, saving, saving it for last, of course, the group, the category that is really on its own, the Munn family. Uh, the Munn family, of course, is a group, of, a family of five. Uh, actually, it's a larger family than that. But five of them were arrested, including Mr. and Mrs. Munn, Thomas Munn, 54, and Dawn Munn, 55, and three of their children, Josh Munn, 24, Christy Marie Munn, 29, and Kaylee Munn, 18. So it's kind of interesting. Almost all these groups are pairs, but, uh, you know, again, they, they really made a family outing of it, you know, and instead of going to the Air and Space Museum, the Munns decided to storm the Capitol. So what does that leave us? So all together, uh, if you look at, you know, you add everybody up, all the siblings, all the, the husband and wives, uh, you know, cousins, uh, the three unmarried couples, those six individuals, uh, you know, conceivably at Thanksgiving dinner, right? These are people you might invite to your Thanksgiving. You have 89 people. So, and again, I, I already talked about the three individuals I excluded from that list, although I perhaps could have included them. Um, 89 people, all of whom have been charged in the Capitol insurrection uh, and took part in it with a family member. Now, that is actually, that was surprising me. Uh, it was very surprising me to find that I knew there were families there. I knew that there were related individuals by blood and by marriage. Didn't realize it would be that many. 13.4%. So out of the 666 individuals charged to date, 13.4% of them are actually people who went there with a family member who was also charged in the Capitol insurrection. And again, kind of interesting that, you know, uh, among the parent-child pairs, mothers would wind up taking children of either gender into the Capitol, um, whereas fathers apparently only took their sons. Uh, and, of course, most of the sibling pairs and the only uh, cousin pair we have are brothers. So, well, males, right? So, yeah, two male cousins and uh, the rest, the uh, sibling pairs, with the exception of Felicia, brothers. All right. So, anyway, happy Thanksgiving. I hope you enjoyed this family-focused event. Um, you know, I hope you don't have any insurrectionists sitting around your Thanksgiving table. Uh, enjoy uh, your turkey day. Um, please, if you haven't rated on, on an Apple, uh, please, if you care to take the time uh, to rate the podcast. And also uh, follow me on Twitter. I hope you enjoyed this one. It was suggested um, by uh, a, a, a listener to the show. And I really enjoy your, your suggestions and all of your interactions. So my DMs are open if you want to send me a message uh, regarding uh, any of the events and news regarding the capital insurrection or ideas uh, for shows. Thank you so much. Happy Thanksgiving, and I look forward to the next time.